This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Monday, y'all. Hope you had a great weekend. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. Yes, yes, yes. I hope everyone had a good weekend. But however, I didn't. I was like literally in bed the entire time because I was like sick and trying to get my life together. But yeah, no COVID. No COVID. I'm waiting for my results. We'll see. Mm -hmm. It was very easy, by the way. Shout out to uh, Los Angeles, the Dodger Stadium. If you have not, if you're in the area, if you need a COVID test, it's very, very easy. It was really enjoyable and it didn't take long. It didn't take long at all. Yeah. Well, I'm happy. I mean, you seem like you're a bit better. You are here today. So thanks, Ryan. We Uh, love you. I could just be praying for you. All weekend long. No, you aren't. Don't even throw in <laughs> prayer for this. It, That's what I spend my weekend doing, praying for Ryan. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, coming up on the show, uh, and thanks for asking me how I'm doing. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> me and Ryan, we love doing this to each other. <laughs> Welcome to our relationship. Uh, no, there's only love here. Listen, coming up on the show, we have a lot going on. We're so excited to be here today. We've got a new banking platform just for the LGBTQ plus community and the co-founder of Daylight, that's what it's called, is joining us on the show today. Plus, California could be getting the COVID vaccine as soon as next week, which is really exciting. More details on that a bit later. But let's get into so much trending this hour. California Governor Gavin Newsom announced today that California has partnered with Google and Apple to launch a COVID-19 exposure notification app called California Notify. Uh, So starting Thursday, you can opt in to get push notifications on your phone if you have been exposed to COVID-19. And it's, by the way, 100% private and secure. Here's what he had to say today. Uh, There's been a lot of discussion around apps. There's been a lot of discussions about how technology can advance uh, our efforts to notify individuals, mitigate the spread of COVID-19, and address this pandemic head on. Uh, Two of California's best known headquartered technology companies, Google and Apple, have joined together in an effort to provide for exposure notification, not contact tracing, but exposure notification. Now, 16 other states, states plus Guam and Washington, D.C., have already made the system available. For iPhone users, you can enable the CA COVID notify on your device settings. Just go to the settings, scroll down to exposure notifications, 
That's interesting. Turn on the exposure notifications and follow prompts to enter California, allow Bluetooth access and to accept the terms and you turn it on. And then for Android users, you can download the CA COVID Notify app on the Google Play Store. Thanks for those in-depth directions, Shira. Letting you know, because I want to make sure you know how to do it. Just saying, what's the point of talking about it if you're like, oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, let's move on. According to Axios, Trump is considering a made-for-TV grand finale, an Air Force One flight to Florida for a political rally opposite Joe Biden's inauguration. Of course he would do this. Now, a White House spokesman, uh, Judd Deere, said, anonymous sources who claim to know what the president is or is not considering have no idea. When President Trump has an announcement about his plans for January 20th, he will let you know. But imagine that, like, on both sides of the TV, you're seeing him do this and then the Biden do that. You know, he continues to try to upstage the entire thing. Would it put it past him, actually? <laughs> now, Georgia recertified its presidential election results today, again, finding President-elect Joe Biden as the winner, following three counts of ballots. And that comes from Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. He added, today is an important day for election integrity in Georgia and across the country. Georgians can now move forward knowing that their votes and only their legal votes were counted accurately, fairly, and reliably. And uh, we'll be talking more about this next Politico's Maya King and its impact on the state Senate runoffs coming up very soon. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So Matthew McConaughey uh, spoke up about U.S. politics in a Mm. recent chat with Under the Skin host, Russell Brand. Sure, I know you're a fan of Russell Brand. Um, So this is your team report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Now, in a recent episode, basically, uh, him and Russell Brand were speaking, and McConaughey spoke out about political divisiveness and the need to meet in the middle. In this conversation, Brand went on to criticized uh, Hollywood figures and those on the far left who he says antagonize and belittle those with other beliefs. Of course, McConaughey agreed by saying there's a lot on that illiberal left that absolutely condescends, patronizes, and are arrogant towards the other 50%. McConaughey said that he believes the best solution to untie the country, or unite the country, is for both sides on the political spectrum to come together and find common ground in the middle. Mm -hmm. He says, it's a move to say, no, let's get aggressively centric. Um, He said, I dare you. It's not a recession. It's an aggressive move. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, it seems like where we're at isn't working. And and typically you go from one extreme to the next. Uh, That's kind of how history works. Uh, And so to move forward, we're going to have to figure out some sort of combined effort. That's the thing. And so it, it makes sense what he's saying. But once again, I think a lot of people might say coming from, yeah, like where he's at, white privileged celebrity, of course, it's like easy to say, let's just find a center when maybe his, you know, his rights aren't being taken away from him. Yeah, um, I don't agree with any of that. Um, Okay, tell me. I want to hear. I don't agree with any of things that he said. Um, I don't think there's any time to really be meeting in the middle anymore. And I don't understand where all this compassion for the right is coming from when they have terrorized us for over four years and before that. And this is like, is it really compassion for the right? Is it 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 like compassion for all the sides? Like figuring out how we live in a better country I think it's compassion for the, uh, this idea for the right to help them. Cause he continued to go on in this podcast episode saying that, of course, you know, the right is going to be in denial. 
denial. My thing is, would they have given people on the left that same energy? And I doubt that. But let's keep this conversation going at LGT Show everywhere on social media. And of course, you can listen to more of this story or find out more about it on wheelchannelq.com. All right. Well, coming up on the show, how Georgia has become the center of the election debate and what will it take for Democrats to win the Senate? Maya King from Politico joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The Georgia Senate runoffs are January 5th, and it seems like Republicans have been throwing around mixed messages for voters. Trump held a rally in Valdosta, Georgia, over the weekend, where he encouraged the state to question the fraudulent and rigged elections, but still go out and vote for Senators David Perdue and Kelly Leffler. Joining us right now is a reporter from Politico, Maya King, who we love having on. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me back. So we know that Georgia certified that Biden won today. But what is the current state of affairs right now? Because it just seems like they are keeping to push on this whole fraudulent front. And then there's a Senate race. It's hard to keep up with what they want. Do they want them to trust the race or not and vote? Do Republicans want their voters to vote? And the answer is absolutely. Democrats have really started to amp up their ground game. It's something that they're good at. It's what won them the state in November. Um, And it's what they're hoping will take them to the Senate or win them two more Senate seats. And so what's working against Republicans' favor right now are figures like Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood, who are hosting these Stop the Steal rallies or did last week and basically said, you know, that the vote, that the election was a sham and that it wasn't to be trusted, that their votes might not count, but they might as well just stay home on Election Day. And runoff elections are absolutely turnout elections. The party that wins is the party whose people show up in the largest number, which sounds really simple. But when you have outside forces that are as powerful as Powell um, Powell and Lynn, and then also even President Trump starting to call into question the legitimacy of the vote, it's where it's where things start to get a little bit hairy and where you start to see Republicans really closing ranks um, around Leffler and Purdue saying, no, absolutely, please cast a ballot, get them to, you know, get to the get to the polls and vote. And, um, you know, they're also amping up some scare tactics by saying, look, what stands in between a radical socialist America is Leffler and Purdue. And if you don't vote, that's what we'll see in the next two years. Yeah, I think we and people who are probably like, I don't know what's going on here. I think we need to start from the basics, right? Like, why is Trump so mad at Georgia Republicans in the first place? Yeah, it's, I, I think it is good for us to start there. Um, well, it's important to note, you know, Leffler and Purdue are really getting caught in in the crossfire here between Trump um, and Governor Kemp, um, who's the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, and Brad Raffensperger, who is the Secretary of State of Georgia. These are two figures who have said, look, Biden won the state and they've done everything in their power to check, double check, and now as of today, triple check the results of the election and declare the results in favor of Joe Biden by a margin of about 10,000 votes. Um, And Donald Trump refuses to believe that that's true, that that small margin is um, proof of something more insidious and that uh, these two figures, Kemp and Raffensperger, 
are not real Republicans by um, by failing to certify the election results in favor of a Republican. Maya King, again, is with us, reporter at Politico. So this narrative, how is it going to impact the January 5th election? Because it, it seems to be interesting timing for everything. It is. Um, and that's really the question of the year, I think, is what impact will this have? Does it mean that, you know, a, num- a large enough number of Republicans will stay home on election day on January 5th and hand the election to Democrats? Democrats? Or does it mean that the base is that much more fired up to get real Republicans, quote unquote, into um, the Senate? And I think the other question that some people have in the back of their minds is what happens if Democrats actually win? Do we go through this battle all over again with a recount and, um, you know, conflict over what constitutes a winner and a loser in the state. I think these are all things that are on people's minds. Yeah, and I also think what's interesting is the amount of Georgia Republicans actually speaking up against Trump, right? I think we're seeing that divide um, where they're calling out Trump and saying that, you know, this is an attack on democracy. Do you think we're going to start seeing that more across the Republican Party, obviously, as the Georgia Republicans are kind of taking the lead on this? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, last night um, during the Georgia debate, one thing that was, you know, very clear was Leffler's refusal to acknowledge that Joe Biden was the winner of the presidential race. Hmm. She was asked, I think, at least three times whether or not she would declare and confirm that Joe Biden had won and she would pivot to to other other answers, which is really alarming in a democracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the real the, the Republicans who have really been honest and, and clear in their stances are the state leaders. So that's how you see people like Raffensperger. A number of state legislators have also come forward and state figures have said, look, you know, this is getting out of control. We need to go ahead and call a thing what it is and move on so that we can get more Republicans into the Senate to, um, you know, keep Joe Biden from passing any real ambitious Democratic policies. Yeah. And finally, Maya, what's the sentiment from Democrats right now on the ground in Georgia uh, as it relates to John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock? Are they feeling good about the election coming up? Is there a chance they could win the Senate? Oh, yeah. I think they're absolutely feeling good, but they're they're cautiously optimistic. They're really relying heavily on their ground game and on their ability to engage voters. And they're able to do that. And they're doing so in really large numbers now. So as that continues to be successful, and they're hoping that more Democratic figures like Barack Obama and Joe Biden will travel down in the next few weeks um, to shore up support and enthusiasm, they see that they're within striking distance of the Senate. Well, that was Maya King, reporter at Politico.com. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Now, coming up on the show with millions of Americans heading into the holidays unemployed, what type of relief should the country expect? And how do we get out of this tragic mess? We look at that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. According to the Washington Post, millions of Americans are heading into the holidays unemployed and over $5,000 behind on rent. Which is sad and crazy. And White House economic reporter Jeff Stein for the Washington Post joins us right now. Thanks for being here for this very tough and unfortunate situation. Yeah, no problem. Thanks so much uh, for having me on. I think it's important that people know what's happening. Yeah, it seems like Congress is meeting again uh, to figure something out in this very obvious emergency we're in. We heard of the $908 billion bipartisan bill that Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell was not into last week. Where does it seem like we are on this this week? So last week was interesting because after months and months of reporters like myself jumping up and down and screaming and saying that we were headed off this cliff like Wiley E. Coyote, 
um, <laughs> there was a little bit of glimmer of optimism um, where this bipartisan group, as you mentioned, came out with this proposal. Democrats quickly backed as a potential framework that they could get behind. And it seemed like there was real momentum behind it. My sources who are close to that effort say that they basically worked all weekend, um, all Saturday, all Sunday on trying to iron out some of the contentious sticking points um, in that proposal. The, the plan was sort of more of a framework than an actual bill. So they have a ton of detail to fill in. And the same issues that have been plaguing these negotiations for months and months and months are rearing their head again and threatening to kill this whole thing. Those are, you know, how do you give money to state and local governments? Democrats say that that's absolutely essential to be in any package. Republicans, uh, many of them think that that's just a handout to states and cities that have mismanaged their finances. Right. And then this question of, of a liability protection, should corporations be immunized from lawsuits from their workers? That That is a key Republican demand for any package. And Democrats are very skittish about the effect on um, on millions of workers. So those are, are the two, unfortunately, ling lingering sticking points. Yeah, because economists are obviously freaking out, just like millions of Americans. But what are some of the long-lasting effects of this crisis that we're in that we'll see when it comes to our economy? One of the scary trends, I think there, there are a number, but one of the ones that I think about a lot and hear about a lot from economists is this question of women in particular, falling out of the workplace um, and potentially really doing long-lasting damage, irrevocable damage in many cases to their careers. Um, women, of course, um, tend to unfortunately inherit a disproportionate amount of the childcare duties. And when schools are closed um, and when it's not safe for kids to be going out, um, a lot of parents or have a lot of mom, single moms in particular. And, and in part because the government has refused to provide adequate paid leave and adequate child care, many moms are making the choice to stay home and give up their jobs. And that's obviously a grueling decision because now they're going without paychecks. But, you know, someone has to watch their kids. But the even when we get out of this, the implications for them could be really, really dire. Definitely. Uh, you're hearing from White House economic reporter Jeff Stein from The Washington Post right now. I mean, the stats and the numbers we're hearing, it's just really horrible. You know, many of those who are in a really bad place, as you mentioned, of course, the moms, families, and specifically Black and Hispanic families, will a new relief bill really be able to get them out of this deep hole at this point? I think, you know, a lot of the... Um, labor experts I talked to and labor advocates who are behind this bill get very angry when reporters like myself refer to this as a stimulus package. Their attitude is, hey, that's like, that makes it sound like we're trying to, you know, get things going in a great way. They, they want this to be called an emergency relief bill, not a stimulus package. And I think the semantic distinction there may, may really matter. We have gone now several months where over 20 million people are receiving no additional federal unemployment benefits. And as my colleague uh, Heather Long brilliantly wrote this morning, and as you mentioned, you know, the bills are coming due. We are looking at over 30 million people facing eviction. Um, if the eviction moratorium is not extended at the end of this year, we're looking at um, tens of millions of people losing paid family leave benefits, over 12 million people set to lose unemployment benefits um, that are sort of, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but there are base unemployment yeah. benefits, sort of the standard benefit that then they sometimes level a, a federal benefit on top of. The federal one has gone away, but now 12 million people are set to lose the base benefit as well. And 
Congress may not even be re-upping the federal benefit, even though they both sides agree that that's something that needs to happen. So it's it's um very scary time for a lot of people, and yet um, the stock market seems to be holding up quite well. It's it's yeah. um it's a wild time. It's so interesting because uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, she actually tweeted a couple days ago a graphic of how this like uh every country around the world has done you know different amounts for the stimulus relief and how they've given so much money per month and the united states obviously is only given a twelve hundred dollars to last for 32 weeks why is our country falling behind every other country in the world like if those countries can do it why can't we do it we have a system in which it it requires cooperation of both sides where there are political incentives not to cooperate a lot of the time and one of the things that i think has really emerged where you've you know a lot of my democratic sources were questioning right before the the election like why are why would we approve a bill that would give trump the ability to put his name on stimulus checks and send them to 80 million people and um, obviously democrats publicly and even privately many of them insist that they would have been fine doing that you know as the price for a relief package but it is certainly worth asking you know did that you know slow down um the amount of relief we've authorized and now republicans have an incentive not to help joe biden because they're going to try to take them down in a few years and the inability of parties to pass what they think is necessary to stay popular is a pretty distinctive feature of our legislative and political system that um, seems to be really coming to a head right now. Well, Jeff Stein, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the insightful questions. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was White House economic reporter Jeff Stein from The Washington Post. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the co-founder of Daylight is joining us, a digital banking platform for the LGBTQ plus community. Plus how debt collectors might hit you up on social media soon and what you can do about it because that might become very annoying very quickly. Mm-hmm. But first, Channel Q is teaming up with Los Angeles Unified School District to help families most in need this holiday season. Text GIVER to 76278 to donate to the LA Students Most in Need Fund. No amount is too small. This week, the first $5,000 in donations is matched by Aspiration.com. Leave your bank. Save the planet. Love it. So good. I'm so happy we're doing that here at Radio.com and Channel Q. Uh, But let's get into so much trending this hour. It was announced over the weekend that Rudy Giuliani had tested positive for COVID-19. And there is concern for the people he had interacted with across the country. And here's President Trump responding to reporters about Giuliani's health today. So Rudy's doing well. I just spoke to him. He's doing very well. No temperature and... uh, he actually called me early this morning. It was the first call I got. Now he's doing very well. That's another champion. Greatest mayor in the history of New York. And uh, what he's doing now is more important. And he will admit that. He was the greatest mayor. Did a fantastic job, especially when you see what's going on nowadays, Dan. Okay, now the Trump administration declined when Pfizer offered during the summer to sell the U.S. government additional doses of their COVID-19 vaccine. This is big news today, according to The New York Times. And now Pfizer says that they may not be able to provide more of its vaccine to the U.S. until June 2021 because of their commitments to other countries. Meanwhile, we are hearing that in California, we might have access to the vaccine next week, along with New York. So we'll see what happens as that gets rolled out and distributed across the country. It's not shocking that Rudy Giuliani has this at this point. I mean, I hope... 
for the best for him. I hope, you know, obviously not the worst, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's it's honestly comical at this point. Yes, there's a lot of irony in all of this, unfortunately, and we're all living through it. Okay, now this is a wacky story, but it's trending. You got to listen to this, Ryan. This is, this is my favorite story today. Former Israeli space security chief Hayim Eshed has revealed that aliens from a galactic federation have been in contact with the U.S. and Israel for years. But humanity isn't ready to know this, although he has just revealed it. Uh, so he said they reached an agreement with the U.S. government to, to stay quiet on the experiments they conduct on Earth, as well as their secret base on Mars, until mankind is ready to accept them. Wait, so what type of experiments are they doing on Earth? Like on people or just no like on climate change? Uh, who knows? So he told this to this Israeli paper, according to this Jewish press. He said the aliens have asked not to announce that they are here because of human- uh, humanity is not ready yet. So this guy who's talked about this is 87. They're not sure if this is true or if he's just old and kind of like, you know, uh, maybe going crazy. Yeah. Uh, He said this. Yes. Trump was on the verge of revealing aliens existence. The aliens in the Galactic Federation are saying, wait, let people calm down first. So this guy helmed Israel's space security program from 1981 to 2010. He added, they don't want to start mass hysteria. They want to first make a sane and understanding, which is really nice to know that the aliens are looking out for us. To be honest, I doubt the aliens really care because after having a year 2020, I think, you know, we're all prepared for anything. Right. And maybe that's what they're waiting for. They have been waiting for humanity to evolve and reach a stage where we will generally understand what space and spaceships are. And they they signed a contract and to do these experiments. They too are researching and trying to understand the whole fabric of the universe and they want us as helpers. Okay. Well that's nice. It's a very collaborative effort. I love that. Right. I mean, I feel like this makes me feel a bit better about the idea that they don't want to just like totally blast us and like ruin humans for everything we've done on this earth. Like it seems like a really peaceful exchange. They said there's an underground base in the depths of Mars where their representatives are and also are American astronauts. Oh, God. Well, so that means yeah, we've already made it to Mars. Really out there. What? This is a wild story. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I like stories like this. Maybe we hit up space.com to see what they're thinking. We need to find out more because this story just came out today and uh, it's sending a, a lot of shockwaves throughout social media and, of course, uh, the community. Okay, so that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? So it's not aliens, but it is Lori Laughlin's daughter, Olivia oh. Jade. She is literally ready to discuss her experience being caught in the whole middle of the college admission scandal. She is going to be making her first appearance on the Red Table Talk. Uh, she explained her decision to participate in the show in a promo clip on Instagram. Here's what she had to say. I've watched the show and I... I think you guys are all amazing and it feels really safe. Yeah. But it also feels honest and it feels like we're going to all lay it out here and it's going to be like an open conversation. So um, Olivia has remained tight-lipped, of course, since her parents were both sentenced to time in prison for their role in the scandal that swept the nation by storm. Uh, Lori, if you don't know, is currently serving a two-month prison sentence at California's Dublin FCI and is expected to be out of the slammer in time for Christmas. Do you think... 
Lori even knows that Olivia's about to go on the red table talk and expose everything? Um, probably not. Or maybe it's the only thing they can do to like keep their family relevant and making some money. I don't know. I mean, what type of money are they going to make? And I feel like Olivia's kind of separated herself at this point from her whole entire family, which, because if she didn't know, which I will assume that's what a lot of this was, and she kind of got mm -hmm. caught up in it, then maybe there's some hard feelings, and maybe that's the healing that needs to be done, as Jada uh, oh. loves to say. But who knows? I'm I'm actually very excited to see what this girl has to say, because we oh, already yeah. know that she didn't care about college in the first place. Remember those videos? She did not care. So yeah, what do you all think? Hit us up at LGT Show everywhere, and uh, that's your T Report. I got more coming up next hour. All right. Well, coming up next on the show, why these startup founders started a bank for the LGBTQ plus community, and why it's needed now more than ever before. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Elite is a new digital banking platform for and by the LGBTQ plus community. And Billy Simmons, who's the co-founder and chief of staff of Daylight, joins us right now. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Shira. So why was it clear to you that there needed to be a banking platform like this? You know, Rob and I, uh, as co-founders, have both experienced, you know, the financial services industry as LGBT people. And the idea of an LGBT bank is not necessarily a new one, but it's an idea that we have been throwing around for a little bit of time. And we spoke to thousands of LGBT people at the start of all of this. And uh, it's, you know, it's becoming clearer more than ever that millennials are no longer happy with what uh, incumbent banks are offering them. From our research, only 26% of people uh, that we surveyed, which is largely LGBT millennials, believe that their bank is doing enough to support the community. They've had years to prepare and all we're getting is rainbows on cards and spend at Pride. And it's just not good enough. So we decided to take matters into our own hands and actually solve some of these uh, very real pain points that LGBT people are facing. So what are LGBTQ people wanting when it comes to baking? I think it's a, it's a, it's a number of things. I think, you know, first and foremost, authenticity. And, you know, they want a product that is built by and for the community. And that's something that we at Daylight, you know, really pride ourselves on. Uh, we like to describe ourselves as a team of queer geeks solving our own problems. Um, you know, we, uh, we're in constant conversation with other people in the LGBT community as well and really trying to build this together. And I think the other part of it is just they want something that is, you know, is tangible and, and is really trying to actually uh, fix these these pain points that we're looking. So maybe I'll I'll, I'll do a sort of uh, overview of of kind of what those pain points are that I've alluded to a few times now. Yeah, and, yeah, sure, uh, that'd be great. <laughs> all of our research has ultimately led us to you know the conclusion that LGBT people aren't preparing for their futures fast enough, and this is for a variety of reasons. Um, it costs more to be LGBT. We have high one-off costs, uh, things like having children, which can come up to $130,000 for surrogacy or for trans and non-binary people. Um, you know, the costs for gender-affirming surgeries can add up to $100,000. And this really puts us on the back foot. You know, throughout our lives, then we struggle to play catch-up. We have lower levels of financial literacy and lower salaries, uh, which means that nearly 50% of LGBT people struggle to maintain regular savings. And overall, all these issues have a cumulative effect on wealth creation. There was a, a recent study from SAGE uh, that found that half of LGBT people uh, worry about having sufficient funds to live on, and that's 40% higher than non-LGBT people. So, 
you know, throughout our lives, there are all of these different touch points where being LGBT directly affects our finances. And I think it's not necessarily something that we think about that often, you know, um, you think about it when you're having to go through it, but by the time that you're, you know, ready to have children or ready to, you know, have a gender transition, you know, you need the money then and there, and you should have uh, thought about it, you know, five years ago. I want to remind people uh, that we're listening to Billy Simmons, the co-founder and chief of staff of Daylight, and you're mentioning so many important things, Billy. Was it easier or challenging to get this off the ground uh, because we know how hard it can be for uh, different minority groups to get even funding or to get people to understand why this is important? Yeah, I would say it has been, it definitely hasn't been easy. Um, But, you know, what we have found is that LGBT people are everywhere. That's why we called ourselves Daylight. We like to say LGBT people are everywhere the sun shines. And, you know, with all of the organizations that we've partnered with so far, um, companies like Visa, there are, you know, a ton of LGBT people in those organizations who are just waiting to, you know, to to do the work and, uh, you know, make some real change. And so, Uh, It's been a really wonderful experience um, getting to work with all of these organizations and and get this off the ground. I mean, I love that this even exists because Mm -hmm. obviously there's so many queer, just homeless youth or just queer, you know, people who are not, who never were raised to understand financial uh, stability, right? And so I was wondering, how is Daylight going to offer services that will teach them and educate queer folks who are having a better financial future? So we start with, you know, core banking services, uh, which help you budget and get your savings in shape. And then beyond that, we have uh, through the app, you can book time uh, with an LGBT financial coach to go through your finances, help you, uh, you know, even navigate your sort of emotional relationship with money. I think there's a lot of shame packed in with with money uh, for LGBT people. And then beyond that, we have best-in-class exclusive educational resources that can be uh, found within the app and a community of like-minded individuals uh, to support you while you go through um, these huge life milestones. Amazing. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing and for this. Uh, We're really honored to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Billy Simmons, co-founder and chief of staff of Daylight. For more info, go to joindaylight.com. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Humorous David Sedaris appeared on CBS this morning over the weekend, and his monologue on regular folks basically being able to fire people, he's calling it citizen's dismissal, might not have gotten the results that he wanted to. I'm not suggesting that we go crazy with this. We all have our off days. Certain people, though, could easily be replaced by go-getters. That's the kind of person I want to deal with, someone with solutions. Okay, so what is your take on this, Ryan? Because I thought this was pretty funny. I mean, he is a humorist, but I feel like people possibly didn't get where he was coming from with this. Um, I don't think it's up for people to get where he was coming from, from it, for it to just be a a bad joke. Falling flat. Yeah, it fell flat, and I think... um, during a time right now where you're suggesting, especially after the movements of like Karens or Toms or whatever they, they were called, you know, just screaming the N word or saying racist thing or are fighting over wearing a mask in front of a store. Think about them having the, the ability to fire folks because they don't want to follow the rules. This is stupid. And I think it just is tone deaf to what people are dealing with. And it's just not funny, especially for it to be like, I saw it being tweeted by CBS on Sunday or CBS Sunday or whatever. And I'm not sure if it was a part of that, but it just felt so weird being like, what's the point? 
Yeah. It's like, why now? Okay. So here's my take on it. And I actually think it would allow us to, if anything, fire the Karens and the Kens out there. So it was, it was more of like a take on, there's a lot of people that are in working right now uh, and who might not deserve the job they have. And it's like, why not give it to people who deserve that gig? So we talk about, but how, we are talk we, about how are we people the- complaining all the time? Like we talk about being in that place and you're like, oh, that person, like we, someone could be there that actually is grateful for that job. And yet you have that person who's working there that doesn't get it. That's not doing their job properly. That doesn't get customer service. So I think he was making fun of more those people than saying that, like, let's just fire the person that's telling you to wear a mask. And to be honest, it's so funny um, that a white man said this is like, why does he feel entitled to be able to do that? Like, why do you feel like you deserve the power to 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 say that somebody deserves a position over someone else? Like, I just don't I don't like that, in my opinion, just it all just fell flat for me. I did. I did not enjoy. I thought it was the dumbest thing that I wasted my I don't know how long that video was, but I wasted time. Um, um, during my day watching that because it just feels like if you're willing to give people that much responsibility um, in this citizen's dismissal, as he called it, I mean, our world would be chaotic. It would be awful because people would not use it in the way that you're suggesting them use it. People would use it in terrible ways and, and to get their own biases off. So yeah, this is the thing. He says he came up with the idea after a recent series of unpleasant run-ins with service employees. So one, there's multiple layers of maybe, yeah, not great timing in terms of sharing this. I think if we weren't in a pandemic where one, you know, service workers and frontline workers are are putting themselves out there and it's not an easy time, right? So we got to give them some grace and space. And secondly, we're in a time when... People should be, you know, fortunate enough and feel grateful enough to have a job. And like, are you going back on your us? initial point? Well, just wait a second. This is layered, Ryan. This no, is it's not. It's it's literally black or white. It's I not. think this would have been a good, somewhat dark, humorous joke if we weren't in the times that we're in. I do think. Listen, I do think there are people out there that that probably aren't grateful for. Then their tell jobs. their manager, and then let the jobs. manager who's been hired take the steps to get them out of their job. Don't like, we don't have the, we shouldn't have that responsibility. All right. Let us know what you think about all of this. Uh, Hit us up on social media at LGT show. We love to hear from you coming up. We've got what's trending this hour. Uh, Fauci says California has no choice, but to impose stay at home orders. How long would this last? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, a new study that looks at how heart disease is impacting the queer community, plus some positive stories to get you through your day. We all need that right now with our Yaz Queen of the Day. That is coming up in just a bit. Yes. But first, yes, feeling it. Uh, Channel Q is teaming up with the Los Angeles Unified School District to help families most in need this holiday season. So text GIVER to 76278 to donate to the LA Students Most in Need Fund. No amount is too small. This week, the first $5,000 in donations is matched by Aspiration.com. Leave your bank and save the planet. Love it. And we're raising so much money, so thank you so much to everyone who has already donated, but keep donating, please. All right, let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. Dr. Anthony Fauci said today he advised California officials that they, quote, really don't have any choice but to impose stay-at-home orders. 
uh, that more than 33 million residents are now living under. Now, California state home rules are some of the strictest in the nation, limiting most non-essential activities, banning restaurant dining and prohibiting private gatherings. And Governor Gavin Newsom last week assigned counties to one of five geographic regions that would have to lock down if their intensive care unit capacity dropped below 15%. So here is Dr. Fauci today. I have been in discussion with the health authorities from the state of California who called me and asked, you know, they said, we feel we need to do this. What do you think? And I said, you know, you really don't have any choice when you have the challenge to the healthcare system, you've got to do something like that. And of course, last week, Dr. Fauci was named Joe Biden's chief medical advisor. Of course he was. He's incredible. And he knows what he's doing. And we finally have someone who's going to listen to him. Mm-hmm. Now, while presenting the Medal of Freedom to wrestler Dan Gable today, President Trump boasted about Gable's record and then, you know, couldn't help but include his own political record into the speech, too. And he won 117 consecutive matches and lost only one. Well, you know, in politics, I won two, so I'm 2-0, and oh, and uh, that's pretty good, too. But we'll see how that turns out. Now, he, he really just can't help himself. It's, it's a broken record, though, at this point. And you're presenting the Medal of Freedom. Focus on the person winning, not yourself for once. Now, in other news, the Supreme Court declined today to take up an appeal from parents in Oregon who wanted to prevent transgender students from using locker rooms and bathrooms of the gender with which they identify rather than their sex assigned at birth. The case came from a school district near Salem, Oregon's capital city. And the federal appeals court in San Francisco had upheld a Dallas, Oregon school district policy that allows transgender students to use bathrooms and locker rooms that align with their gender identity. The parents had sued over the policy in 2017, saying it caused embarrassment and stress. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so did you end up watching uh, Happiest Season on Hulu? I haven't yet. Oh, my God. Well, it's super cute. Obviously, if you haven't heard of it, Happiest Season is the Hulu holiday uh, rom-com, the lesbian rom-com with Kristen Stewart. Okay. Well, um, in a new interview, I'll be, uh, Aubrey Plaza, she's also in the movie, and a lot of fans, after watching the film, wanted her character and Kristen's character to end up with each other, but spoiler <laughs> okay. alert, that didn't happen, but you still gotta watch, it's not really a spoiler alert. But in a new interview on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Aubrey Plaza broke some news. She revealed that COVID-19 hit the set, and Kristen mm. Stewart actually got COVID-19. Here's the clip. COVID was on our set. Um, Kristen got sick. Uh, what? We, we didn't know. We didn't know. Wait, is that know, news? Like Are this. we breaking news right now? Did people know that Kristen oh, Stewart sorry. got sick? <laughs> no, I want to know. I want that to be news. That's, that's okay, a, we call that an exclusive. Okay. That's an exclusive. Look. look. Anything you want to hear about Kristen, I know because we will dish. We're gonna um, dish later. No, we're gonna gonna (laughs) dish the dirt. No, no, no. A lot of people got sick. It was like I, I think we. It was the last week of February, so people were starting. It was like that zone where people were starting to talk about coronavirus, but people were kind of laughing about it. No one really understood how serious it was, but I think a bunch of people on our set got sick. Mm-hmm. I didn't think God. So, yeah, I don't think she meant to <laughs> to kind of reveal and spill that tea, but um, yeah, I guess when they were filming earlier in February, that is what happened, and now everything is, and everyone is fine, but you know, it's just wild to know that Kristen Stewart almost, oh my goodness, we wouldn't have had the happiest season. It's a really good I film, mean, by yeah, the way. Yeah, she... 
she outed Kristen, it seemed. I wonder what she had to say after that. Like, Kristen was like, really? Did you have to drop that news? But hey, Yeah, I doubt Kristen cares. Kristen is uh, sitting literally by herself at a Chanel fashion show, <laughs> being the only person that gets to view it because she's, you know, Carl's muse. But anyway, that is your, um, that's your tea report. Let us know how you liked Happiest Season on LGT Show. That's our social. And of course, keep us followed and watching and reading everything at weirdchannelq.com. I love that recommendation, Ryan, because I need something new to watch. So thank you for that. But coming up next, why LGB adults are at high risk for heart disease and what to do about the surprising statistic. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. A recent study found that LGB adults are less likely than non-LGB adults to be taking medicine that prevents heart disease. Now, this comes from a study published this week in the Journal of the American Heart Association and found that less than 21% of LGB adults were taking cholesterol-lowering medicine known as statins compared to about 44% of those who did not identify as LGB. So what does this all mean? Well, Dr. James Simmons is back with us, the expert. Thanks again for joining us. Of course, my pleasure to be here. Nice to talk about something that's not COVID for a few minutes, yeah? Yeah, uh, hopefully, although all things come back sometimes. <laughs> all roads lead to COVID. Yes, exactly. But why is this study an important one? You know, I think what's really interesting is now there are so many individuals we've known in the queer space for a long time about the health disparities that LGBTQ I plus individuals. And I, I do that slowly on purpose to sort of separate everybody out because the health you know, disparities that happen in the in the trans community are categorically different than generally what happened in the like privileged white gay male community, right? So everyone has their own individual health disparities. But as a collective group, mm-hmm. we don't get the same health care that straight folks do, just bottom line. And that is really problematic. And it pops up in a lot of different ways. And so now it seems like the world of cardiology has jumped on board with this and finally figured out, oh, well, heart disease is the number one killer in the United States. And oh, LGB are people too. Maybe we should prevent them from having heart disease, <laughs> right? That's kind of what this feels like. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm making light of it a little bit, but, you know, the cardiology world is just coming together now and saying, okay, we have these amazing medications called statins, and those are the cholesterol-lowering medications. So like Lipitor, you've heard of that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So those are very popular, and they seem to work really well to lower people's risk of heart disease. Well, in this study, and I use that term very lightly, this was basically a Facebook survey. They <laughs> surveyed about 1,500 people and they said, What's your sexual identity? What is your age? What are some of your lifestyle things? Do you drink, smoke, etc.? And are you taking a statin? And what they found from that is that there are a big group of individuals who are at risk for developing heart disease. So they may have it in their family. They may have type 2 diabetes. They may have obesity. They may have smoked or currently smoke, but they're not taking statins, which could prevent heart disease. That's what this study talks about. But should we really trust studies like this? Because the study was conducted through surveys taken on Facebook. So when you're thinking about that, how legitimate is it? Uh, Excellent question. So the, you know, I think who is doing the survey often matters a lot, right? Especially on social media in general, like who is conducting this information? Also, 
we think about research in this really big grandiose way, right? The best research is the research that is, you know, hundreds of thousands of people and it's a randomized controlled trial and we're doing all these amazing things and we get really amazing, wonderful, yummy, juicy data from it. To get to that level, you have to start somewhere. And starting somewhere often is, let's just get a baseline of where we are. Let's survey a bunch of lesbian, gay, and bisexual folks who are over 40 and see if they're taking statins just to get like kind of a feel for the room, just like a temperature check. And they did that under very, you know, carefully controlled circumstances. And what they found was that two to one straight folks take statins who are at risk of, for developing heart disease versus lesbian, gay, and bisexual folks. From there, Ryan, they'll take this research and they'll expand it into something that seems a little bit stronger, if you will. Got it. Again, you're hearing the voice of Dr. James Simmons. So where are the trans individuals in this? Why are they not included? Excellent question as well. They, they survey was specifically designed for cisgender individuals who do not specifically identify as straight. And this is actually a good thing because I think what often too often happens, particularly in the healthcare world, is that we lump everybody together. So the cisgender heterosexual individuals who run most of healthcare will just put all lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersexed, queer folks all together in one category. And then generally they're like, here, let's talk about safe sex and HIV, as if those are the only things that matter in our health, right? So what I like about this is that the needs of the trans community, both trans masculine and trans feminine communities, are categorically different when it comes to heart disease and lots of other things than they are gay or bisexual men and women and lesbian. Does that make sense? So even just the, the disparities in healthcare, the access to healthcare that happens between trans and cis individuals, even within our LGBTQ community is so significant that I think the researchers were actually really wise to separate this out. And so yeah. what I hope then they follow up with is a trans specific survey looking at the same thing. So are we at a place um, where people can no longer, well, they should still be kind of leery and, uh, you know, take precautions because of COVID, but are we at a place where people can start visiting the hospital and getting those daily checkups that are needed to find out stuff like this? Absolutely. And I want to remind everyone, your almost everyone has some sort of access to some sort of virtual means to have a health appointment. I actually work with an organization here in Los Angeles called APAIT, who is often able to hand out phones for, that have prepaid plans that have at least 4G, and you can FaceTime on those or you can video chat on those. And if that's the ability to happen to some of our homeless LGBTQ folks that we help, who can then get virtual appointments for mental health counseling, virtual appointments for their doctor's office, let's say. So many of the rest of us can. All right. Well, Dr. James Simmons, thanks as always for being here. We appreciate you. Of course. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. It is time for our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. You know, we love to wrap up the show with some positivity, don't we? Uh, And this one is pretty amazing. A 17-year-old, Trevor Wilkinson, he attends Clyde High School near Abilene, Texas. He says when he returned from Thanksgiving last Monday, he was called aside by a teacher and he was given an in-school suspension and told his nail polish violated the school's dress code for male students. Oh, of course. Yes. These students, I thought, you know, 
students and queer students had it a lot easier at this point, but you never know. I mean, it, it's just really depending on where you are. And also if your school is like actually willing to accept queer individuals in their, mm-hmm. in the programs in the education system, but I guess not. Tell me more of the story. Well, yeah, he is saying and calling out the school saying that it's discriminatory and sexist as it does not apply to female students. Here he is talking to the local news. I can stay in ISS and keep my nails. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So you're not going to remove your nail polish. No. So it didn't end there, Ryan. So he tweeted this. Imagine your school not allowing boys to paint their nails and giving boys uh, ISS for it, which is the suspension Uh, and the whole administration being okay with it. Homophobic and sexist. Welcome to West Texas. So not only did that tweet start to get some traction, but then he created his own petition. 66,000 people have signed this electronic petition. He started to support boys, men wearing nail polish in school. And here's what he had to say about the importance of doing that. Again, thank you guys so much. And I promise I will eventually get back to all of your messages. I will make sure of it. But right now, it is easier for me to just say thank you and tell you guys that I love you and to keep signing and that you guys are amazing in every single way. Because now he's being told he has to work remotely until January, go home and remove his nail polish or keep the nail polish and remain suspended. And he said, you know, this is not going to fly by me. Something has got to happen. And so that petition is now going viral. That's the thing. You can't encourage kids to, you know, speak their minds and be fully formed humans if you're going to kind of try to shut them down from speaking their minds. Right. And I think that's something that adults, uh, especially when I was growing up, always tried to do. Like they say, children Mm -hmm. should be in a child's place. And that's just not true. I think um, I'm so happy for him speaking up because here's the thing. Nail polish isn't a sexuality. It doesn't matter if you're queer or you're not queer. If you just want to express yourself in that way, what's the point? It's not affecting their learning. It's not affecting, you know, his, you know, process every single day. So what's the big issue here? Like, I used to color in my nails with like Sharpie and stuff. Like, who cares? And the school has issued a statement saying it does not normally change its dress code policy in the middle of a school year. Wow, they seem very stubborn about this. Uh, They said the district appreciates the feedback and input on this issue received from members of the community and will take this into consideration when it conducts its annual review later this school year. I mean, they better be doing something more because this kid is getting a lot of attention right now. Uh, So he gets our Yaz Queen of the day for really standing up for what's important. Trevor Wilkinson, thank you so much for being you. And we're sending you all our love. Yes, Queen. Oh, my goodness. I didn't have no time to put that Yes, Queen in there. Well, that does it for our show for today. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. But we are back tomorrow weekdays here for you on Channel Q, live 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app and where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you tomorrow and stick around for Loveline where Dr. Chris is covering dealing with holiday stress. That's next. All right. Bye, y'all. 
Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. On the next show, the CDC wants us to mask up indoors. But will Americans listen? Plus, are aliens in hiding until mankind is ready? We are breaking down the truth behind this crazy story. Listen live weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q. Or on your own time with the Let's Go There podcast on the Radio.com app.